Making Her Way introduces you to the brilliant, ambitious women behind some of your favorite products and asks them to share their motivations and the practical strategies they've used to achieve their goals. In each episode, we discuss the exact process of bringing a new product to market and to success. Join me as we discuss design, manufacturing, sustainability, and modern marketing. My name is Sarah Lidwell Darnan, and my goal is to bridge the gap between up and coming product creators and the women who are out there already changing the world. Hello and welcome to Making Her Way. Today, I am so lucky to have the wonderful Rosella Kennedy join me, and she's going to be telling us all about her project, Brave Sis. So over to you, Rosie. Can you please introduce yourself and tell me what it is that you make? Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm really thrilled to be here with you. So I am the founder and the owner of Brave Sis Project, which I call a movement and mission of intercultural sisterhood. Now, it started out as a planner and a day book, a guided uh, journal. It also took on very quickly um, a life as a history book and a coloring book. And the history book part um, is about women of color in American history, many of whom are unknown to, you know, who are not household names. This inspiration came to me um, on Christmas morning of 2019. I had been thinking about creating a journal and I um, took your brilliant, brilliant class, which really helped uh, anchor me and, and get me determined on the nuts and bolts of making this move from a, rea- a dream to reality. And I wanted to create a journal because I was finding that the wellness space was feeling a little exclusive of me as, as a black woman and a woman of color. The imagery was very much sort of, you know, size zero blonde women on the beach while I have many, many friends who are size zero blonde women on the beach, that's not who I am. And it felt a little alienating to feel like I was so clearly not in the picture. But then I have lots of other friends who are, you know, of every ethnicity and culture. Um, and it felt like a really wonderful moment to sort of bring us all together in our own little sort of like, you know, journal version of a clubhouse or group together. And I, and on that Christmas morning, I got a, um, a visitation from a foremother force saying, tell my story. And I jumped out of bed and I was like, oh, my God, I've, I've heard the voice of the divine. And I started researching women and finding out all these people, you know, the first black woman dentist and the first Chinese American naval operator woman and, and all of these interesting people who really helped build the story of America and and largely the world and who we didn't know about. And so I said, I'm going to make them the center of this. And so what the journal ended up turning into is sort of, you know, all the components you expect with with, um, the calendar and the day book and the prompts and the question starters. But every two weeks, there's sort of a little party where I introduce four to six women 
It's a coloring book page, really lovely illustrations. And then a prompt, if you could meet these women, what would you ask them and what would they tell you? So it invited the reader or the user to go into sort of like a, a you know, a, a contemplative, meditative, self-help state in, in imagining these impossible dialogues with women in the past. That would have been enough. But then, um, you know, with the way that the world has gone in the past year with the pandemic and all of the racial and social justice issues that have come up, another piece emerged, which is that a lot of women of all ethnicities were looking for ways to be in more authentic allyship and friendship with each other. And I found many people coming to me and saying, Rosie, help me explain this. Or Rosie, what do we think about this? Or, you know, and, and I was like, you know, I can't do one-to-one like that. We've got to fi- figure out a way to turn, to, to concretize this. I, and so the journal has ended up really catapulting other aspects of the brand, if you will. I'm doing workshops now on um, uh, inclusive sisterhood. And I mean, we can talk about that a bit more. I, I'll, I'll stop now so we can get into some of the other pieces. But it's really turning into a multi-level universe all around this idea of let's see each other um, across our differences. Let's celebrate each other and let's be there for each other because we need that more than ever right now. That's absolutely wonderful. I'm so glad that it's taking on a life beyond the journal as well and the workshops. I love when a brand can bring human beings into the same place together as well as having physical products. It feels like a calling, honestly. I'm doing a workshop next month um, and it's sort of in the diversity, equity and inclusion space, but it really is about what are the, what are the phrases and sentences that a well-meaning person might say that, is, that are really off-putting? Because one of the, one of the, big well let me let me back up and say it differently i am now referring to myself as a cheerleader for black and brown women who need to really and want to really see each other across our cultural differences and find out what binds us what we have in common and when you see the stories of some of these women you really start to see oh that was like the pioneer the first chinese woman who settled this town she wasn't very different from the black woman in alabama who did this other thing so that's one piece is to help us and with the sort of violence we've been experiencing in the united states specifically around the asian American and Pacific Islander community, there's really been a moment where we're all all being called to band together and be in solidarity and, and to, to know each other and to be truly, truly sisters. So that's one piece. And then I also call myself a midwife for white women who want to enter these spaces but have trepidation because they don't know how to enter, what to say, what to do, how to how to show up. And I, you know, I've working in nonprofit for 20 some odd years now, and go having gone to a hundred million of these workshops, you know, there was always that piece that was missing, which was like the vulnerability and the self at the center. And so when you're working in a journal, you're very vulnerable. You're speaking your innermost thoughts to yourself. How can we take that holy moment, that joyful, full of potential energy 
and spread it out into the way we show up in spaces, the way we speak to each other, the way we advocate for each other. Friends, I'll say one more thing, um, Sarah, and you know, this may be too much for the, um, for, for the, uh, the, the interview here, but um, I'll give you a quick example. Um, last year, after George Floyd was murdered, a girlfriend of mine in co from college who lives in Florida called me and said, Rosie, I called my mayor today and I demanded to know what are they going to do to ensure that we don't have any George Floyds in our town. This is in a Miami suburb. And backstory is we went to college together. And when Obama was president, she said to me, Rosie, why is it wrong to say he's so articulate? Why does that offend people? Now, Sarah, a lot of folks in the diversity space or whatever have you would would sort of brush that aside and say, if you don't know the answer to that question, go away and Google it. Find it out yourself. I'm not here to educate you. That's not my labor to do. You know, it'd be a big kerfuffle. And I was like, no, this is a friend of mine. We've known each other for 20 some 30 perhaps years. And we have love. We have friendship. I'm going to take the time and explain how it can land. So when she told me this story about um, the mayor, I said to her, well, you know, honey, I want to thank you. And she says, no, no, no. I want to thank you because you spent the time with me to help me see. And now I realize how close this is to what my grandparents went through when they were fleeing Germany in the 1930s. So I want to thank you. And Sarah, that is the higher ground that I actually think Brave Sis can help engender through all of the things is that we don't do it because it's the right thing to do or it makes us look good or it's a feather in our cap as a good ally or whatever, a good world citizen. We do it because we love each other. And when you love yourself, when you know yourself through the journaling process, you are more able to be that person and that agent that puts more of that goodness out into the world. And I think that is the differentiating factor between what I've built with this journal and the rest of the industry, in a way, you know, I'm, I'm asking, I'm inviting people to take it that next step. And it's not about what's your career success plan and, you know, all of those sort of like hard edged goals, which are very important. But it's about something that's that's coming from a place of a, a different kind of um, human touch and interaction. So, yeah, yeah, it feels very I'm I'm honored to have been called to be doing this work. It feels like it's flowing through me and not just something I'm doing. Yeah, that's wonderful. And it is it is such a beautiful project because a lot of planners a couple of years ago were the very kind of shoulder pads and strong lipstick sort of career goals sort of planner. And you've seen them yourself as well. And this just feels incredibly heartfelt and and very necessary right now. I mean, your timing was excellent, um, unfortunately. And it's, it's, yeah, it's really, really wonderful to read what you've been doing. And for mm. me, I mean, I'm Irish. I, you know, I've, I've grown up many thousands of miles from you. So I understand with an American husband, I do understand that you can put your foot in it really badly when you're talking to people who've been hurt. And you don't, you know, it's, it's easy just to, to ask and you can avoid causing inadvertent offense. So, it, yeah. It is important. And, you know, I lived in the UK um, for a year and I lived in France. I lived in Paris for seven years. So I have a personal experience of not being in my 
in my home country, if you will. And so I think that gives me an added layer of understanding how disorienting it can be to step into new places and spaces and moments. Coming out of this pandemic, we are all so much more focused on what's, I believe and hope we will continue to stay this way, focused on what's essential and what's important as opposed to what's superfluous. And I think that is, you know, again, good timing, but I feel like this project and the and me and the times we're in have all sort of evolved together. And, and that's the part I'd say to other creatives, you know, um, let enjoy the journey a little bit and see where it takes you because you may end up with an entirely different concept than you originally imagined. And I think that's been the really most exciting part of this whole voyage for me. That's wonderful. I think also because you've lived in the UK and in Paris, in particular in Paris, the experience of people in color, of color in Paris is very, very different. And it's coming from a very different place than the experience of people of color in the US or in the UK. They're very different. They all experience racism in very different ways. Very, very much. Yeah. Yeah. There will be a memoir someday. There will be a racist memoir. Trust me, because the stories are quite something. Um, I won't go into any of them. Just to say one of my claims to fame is I once cursed out Grace Jones in French in Paris. (laughs) (laughs) In the 80s. And she was absolutely taken aback. That oh, I actually spoke wonderful. French as well as I did, but um, no, it, it's true. I mean, there are real differentiations, but but I have a dear friend in Ireland who has a copy of the Journey Journal, and Yay. she promotes it. It's hard to it's hard to sh- get the shipment over to to um you know to to Great Britain and, and Ireland, but she has one. And yes, I, I I mean, there are people in about eight different countries who have it, and one of my goals for maybe two years down the line is to do a global brave sis, to look at women and other cultures who've really stood up in that way. I have a lot of ideas for this. There are lots of iterations. Um, And the other cool thing about this, I think is, yes, it's a dated book, but because each year there are different women and different stories, it's got an evergreen quality, especially yeah. for the heavy duty uh, scrapbook journaler types, planner types who like to use washi tape and, and, and stickers. You could literally reuse it from year to year. So I'm hoping I'm also building something that has, you know, sustainability and durability in that way as well because of the, the story element. Amazing. Um, Can I ask you about the physical process of making the planner as well as the emotional process? (laughs) Yes. So, um, you know, I know we can't um, see it um, in the podcast, but I've just finished (gasps) the the prototype for the 2022. Oh, my goodness. So I can tell you very clearly what the process was like. I found some templates to use to literally create the the document in InDesign. And I started, you know, making my customizations and building it as a graphic design product. I also did all of the research, found the women, curated the women I wanted to include and wrote the profiles and I found an illustrator, a young woman who was who was amazing, 
She's going to art school now. And so I contracted her and we, you know, I, I auditioned her and then loved her work. And so that was all done. And then the games began, right? In addition to starting up the business, getting the LLC and doing all of that. And in California, it's expensive and hard. I then said, I've got to figure out how to produce this book and I've got to do it in a way that gives me enough margin that I can actually build a business and not just sort of have a cute thing that's cost me hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars and I've taken a net loss. I was very clear that I want to try to build a business out of this. So I did what you advised. I went to Alibaba and I, I, I you know, I said, I can do this. I've, I've, I've produced concerts and conferences and, 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 and uh, festivals. I can navigate this website. And I did. And I found a few vendors and I talked with them and I found one that I really liked and sent him the files digitally. They gave me a prototype. The prototype arrived in my house the day that California shut down last February. <gasps> Wow. Or March, rather, for the pandemic. I remember it was making a video saying this is a happy day and a terribly sad day. And, you know, we went through two two rounds of prototypes. They were really, really helpful. They were, you know, they answered every question I had. We did a lot of photo WhatsApp messaging. And um, then I, after the Kickstarter, I placed the order um, you know, had to do the bank wire transfer, all of that had to have a, you, you know, there is a moment of faith in all of this because you are dealing with the other side of the country. But I knew that in terms of, uh, factory production, there was really no choice. I mean, there's just wasn't, you know, I would have, I would love to say made in USA. Well, it is made in USA because Everything but the production was done in the USA, all of the creative, all of the work. Um, and then, you know, the hardest part was waiting for the shipment to arrive. It, it got delayed in L.A. And, you know, and actually anyone who's thinking of um, a product this year, be very aware, add a month to your production um, timeline because of international shipping it's not just because of the Suez Canal issue. It's because of a pandemic. Lots of people have lost their jobs. And so at the docks and, and places. So that is a really important piece of, of advice. If you think you need three months, give yourself four or five. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, um, 3,000 books came on four pallets when they showed up on a, uh, on a truck. And it was an oh incredible day. And, and um we had set up, you know, the labeling and the scales and the shipping and the boxes. And we just had a little factory going in my downstairs garage and um, built it up and sent it out. It was an adventure. Oh but I also did. I also did pencils. I did color pencils. I found a different vendor and I did that and um, have had a really great experience with them as well. I have found that these these um, agents for the factories are very attuned to the American, well, to the Western, you know, non, non-Asian um, customers' needs and expectations and anxieties. And, you know, oh. you, you ask things like, I need the price door to door so you don't get stuck with, with tariffs. Yes. Another yes. thing, another fun fact, if my journal had just been a lined notebook, last year it would have been subjected to something like a... Th- 300% tariff. And they asked me, the the, the bill of fare people <laughs> in LA or whatever, um, 
wrote me and said, you know, are you sure that this is not a lined book? And, and I showed them, I said, look, this is an assiduously designed book with drawings on almost every page. Yeah. But, but that would have been a really terrible thing to have happen. So it's yes. really important to, that your broker or agent gives you every bit of information, including yes. once it arrives at the port, what's the time frame from the port to the truck being in, at your facility? Yeah, because that's not an instant process at all. That can take two weeks easily. So, yeah, especially in the UK. You're dealing with, I I mean, it was like a ton. I think it was a a ton of weight. Um, And, you know, so that that has to go by ship. The pencils can go by air. And the funny thing with those sorts of products, Sarah, is, you know, they cost about uh, 75 cents let's say for a box of pencils but with the shipping it's like four dollars yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. By, by dhl oh, um air freight so yeah yes yeah and it's remarkable how many of the costs add up one of the things i always show my students in the program is an example of a an invoice i got from my freight agency here in the uk on a a large shipment of like many many tons of ceramics from china and how and you know the the cost was like i don't know 1500 pounds sterling or 2000 pounds sterling but the actual the bit of the cost that was the plates on the ship like just their seat on the ship so to speak Mm -hmm. was only 400 pounds and the rest, it was all the taxes and charges and all the Chinese port charges and the lading and the inspection. It all, they're all the things that add up. And that's when you get to the, the £2,000 plus that it was. It's so important to take all of those costs into account. And if anyone's thinking of doing a crowdfund, do not make rewards that are physical things that you have to ship. Or really just, you know, I used the crowdfund and I will again this year as a tool to do pre-sales to say order now at the lowest possible price, order three for you and your friends, order five at this discount. Here are some digital goodies you will get if you support it, et cetera. Yeah. I really pulled away from physical items because you forget the shipping of that that will entirely obliterate whatever gain you've built into your to your margins and you'll lose money and i've seen i've seen that happen as well we get very enthusiastic about our idea and filled with that joy about the creative process and getting it out in the world but you've got to put on a different hat as you know a sort of yeah business person ledger reading crunch the numbers kind of hat I now use a print-on-demand um, service for the merchandise, like the T-shirts and the things like yeah. that. And in that case, you can build that margin into the rewards package because they're taking care of the shipping. They're taking care ah. of the And so you can say, you know, for an extra $30, you'll get the baseball cap. And the baseball cap's cost to you is about 12 so you're not really making anything, but you're not losing anything. And yeah. you're getting the loyalty and the reward and the sort of brand experience. So that's just a real pro tip I want to share with anyone thinking yeah. about crowdfunding. The shipping hadn't really entered my head with the crowdfunding because, of course, you've got to post them all out. So you've got to factor that in, you know, six months earlier when you're setting up your crowdfund, how much is this actually going to cost me to deliver? So tell me about the whole process of the crowdfunding, because you did extraordinarily well. Oh, my goodness. 
Well, first How of all, from, from your lips to God's ears that we might strike lightning twice. Um, in a row. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I know a lot of people and I have a big network and I literally went to every single person that I have ever met <laughs> for whom I had <laughs> any contact info. And I said, I'm building this. I'm launching this. I hope you'll support it. And, you know, certainly there were folks who supported it, who were just like, oh, isn't that cute what Rosie's doing? I'll support it. Um, but I think when people saw the actual product and the actual journal, uh, it really surprised them that it was something of real quality. You know, sometimes when you know a person, you're like, how yes. good can it be? And um, I will tell you about the crowdfund, but I'll jump forward just really briefly to say one of those people is a high school friend of mine who works for a major publishing company. And she says, of course, I'll support Rosie, whatever. When she saw the journal, she said, oh, my God, this is the real deal. And Sarah, I now have a publishing contract for a national 2022 Brave Cis Adult Activity Book with Workman oh. Press, which is a national publisher. Yes. I just got my edits back from my editor last night. Um, we're getting into pre-production. So I'm going to actually have two books out next year. Oh my, my homegrown journal that I continue to do as a dated planner on my own. And a national book that also will be called Brave Sis. So there's a circular brand uplift that is just like a dream come true. And that was because I tapped my network to say I'm yes. doing this. So the first piece in building a crowdfund after you've mapped out all of the costs, the shipping per person, your crowdfund platforms cost, uh, you know, the, the actual product you want to build a little bit of a margin, depending on the product, how much margin you want to build. And then you go to everyone you know and you say, I'm launching this, please support. And you've got to write people several times. You've got to write people on all the different platforms, LinkedIn. You know, I sent 200 LinkedIn messages, uh, Facebook. And then um, you also need to not only get awareness from people, but a few people who will promise that they will support you on day one. Because this yes. is the platforms like Kickstarter. If you're funded on day one, that improves the algorithm. Yeah. And you get seen by more. Um, this came out right after the Breonna Taylor and George Floyd uh, murders. And so there was a big push in the media to support black owned business. So I got included in Kickstarter's, you know, black owned business showcase and also ah. a product we love. I will tell you though, Sarah, I don't think that had much uplift for me. I think most of my pledges were from either people I knew or the network of people I know telling other people. So you need yeah. a squad who's going to really help you and promote it for you. It's difficult to promote your own thing. It feel you know, as women, we, we struggle with that um, mindset issue of can we really put ourselves out there? That wasn't my problem. I'm pretty good at putting myself out there. My problem was knowing that people were not going to take it as seriously if it was me talking about it myself. It's just there's oh. just something different when there's someone else doing your bidding. Um like I said, we got funded on the first day and we did 300% of the Kickstarter. My other pro tip, make your goal small. Make it 
much less than you want. Make it the yeah. bare minimum you need to do the product, right? And yes, because if you don't succeed, you get nothing. And there's an, and I have two friends who put out journals or tried to do planners this year and they both failed. And it was they didn't prime the pump, like get the friends in yeah. the network. It's marketing. It really is. It's marketing and sales. It's not like, oh, my friends were happy. It is it is straight up sales. And the other had a forty thousand dollar goal for a consumer product that you could easily buy for three or four dollars in a in a drugstore. Right. And she was trying to be like, well, I'm paying myself and I'm doing this and my salary. You can't do that. And she failed, you know. And yeah. so really make a goal that you can crush and get your people lined up to help support it so you get there. Yeah. Once you have reached your goal, everyone loves a winner. And so when you're scrolling through and you see 150% funded, 200% funded, you want part of that too, you know. Yeah. And when you see sort of 8% funded, instantly your head says, mm, loser. And yeah, you scroll exactly. on. And that's so unfair because it might be lovely. But I've seen planners try to raise thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000. And it's like, oh, for God's sake, what yeah. are, you, are you like hand making this with well, like <laughs> blind nuns in the Andes mountains or something? <laughs> and that is so true. And I mean, that was the part that really both infuriated and super inspired and charged me up, right? Because a lot of journals and no disparagement because they are important products for our journeys, but so, so many of them, I have them on the shelf. You, the beautiful cover, you know, the biggest players in the field, the 10, 49 yeah. million dollar industries in the sector, beautiful cover, maybe even with your name, you know, customize you open the pages and every page is the exact same yes. thing yeah it's the exact same grid on every page maybe the color changes from month to month yeah but many of them are black and white inside and that and us nothing to print especially the sort of the ones that I saw for you know black women or women of color you know beautiful covers gorgeous hair and like you know, back to Wakanda looking, you know, (laughs) just gorgeous. And then you open it and there's a total disconnect. It's like, well, what happened to all of that creativity and joy and uplift? And it, it felt insulting to me, actually, and bland and generic. And one thing people will say when they see the Brave Sis Journey Journal is, well, you can see on this page that that margin is a little different than the page before. But I wanted to, I, I mean, you know, eventually I'll I'll have a different type of production product or plan, but I wanted it to feel like a human being made this. Yes. Yeah. And you're, you're engaging with an actual human being. And that's been yes. the most gratifying part is the feedback that I get from women who have the journal and use it. My friend in Barcelona yesterday told me that her 17 year old daughter opens the journal first thing every day oh my 77 year old friend who I met through this process I don't know her in real life in in New York in Queens sends me articles and 
and photos from her family archive and things she's finding because she's going into her family history and she just wants to share it with me. And Rosie, look at this really cool woman I just discovered. So it is starting to become a community. And that's my big goal is that we can actually, you know, when we can gather again, that we can even have real brave sis book parties together. I just, yes. there's so much. And Sarah, one more thing, um, the culminating factor of, of, you know, how you speak about the levels, have your entry level product, your low level, your main product, your, your high touch, and then your super high touch. Well, my super high touch is I got sponsorship to put together a brave sis retreat which i'm going to do in costa rica in february of 2022 oh, wow. and it's a friend of mine who is a woman of, of means she got the journal and she's like i love everything about this everyone needs this what are you doing how can i help and i said well will you help me de-risk putting together a, a retreat because a retreat is a risk you know you've got to yeah and she was like yes here is you know five figure donation so oh my goodness magic happens That's completely wonderful what an event that will be and i've just talked to the folks who own the beautiful venue we're going to use in the mountains it's a it's not a super luxe spa at all it's a herbal herbalist but it's it's comfortable and beautiful and she just wrote me last night and she goes rosie this is going to be the most exciting retreat ever we're so excited um to have you because they're interested in the sisterhood inclusive sisterhood concept as well it's it's yeah who wouldn't be i mean you'd have to be the most sort of (laughs) (laughs) grumpy person to not want to discover other women and people around you and know their story and and celebrate them with yourself i don't know who lives in the world who doesn't have that approach so yeah yeah So tell me how you've handled when the Kickstarter happened. I mean, I know when you're doing a Kickstarter, there's this big rush of activity and you're very motivated because you've got like really strict deadlines and it's very much do or die. But after that, then you've got to go into sort of normal marketing. And how did you handle that shift into just the sort of day to day, almost almost drudgery sometimes of just marketing your own product? That was difficult and, 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 and it will be difficult again because I do have a day job and I have a very, very big and very public and present face with my job. And so there's only so much of my being and persona that I can foreground for Brave Sis anyway, vis-a-vis that balance. So that was already nice. an impediment. The second huge impediment, and this was the biggest challenge of the whole project, was that we were in this pandemic lockdown. So I couldn't do any events. You know, I had friends who wanted to do book events and, and parties. We couldn't do anything. So the marketing and the outreach became uniquely digital. And that last summer and fall, I was competing with the sports teams, Toyota, McDonald's, and sorry to say, Donald Trump, right? That's what was dominating yeah. everyone's the noise, inbox, social media feeds, uh, you know. Um, so I, there was no way to make space. And so I feel like I wasted a lot of effort, time and money 
on sort of the digital marketing piece, which really makes me see how important influencer marketing and word of mouth marketing is. You really need a squad that's going to help you that love what you do and are going to tell their friends because you can see the message. I have so many friends, Sarah, who were like, oh my gosh, I forgot to order the journal. I'm going to do it right away. And they still haven't, you know, because Mm. we get distracted and life happens and we don't do it. And so what I did was I tried not to be annoying. You know, uh, again, you are putting your, your own persona. It's a lot easier if you hire a firm that just does it for you because they, they're relentless. <laughs> about yeah. they it out. But, you know, I didn't have $2,000 a month to put someone on retainer to do that. And so I used social media a lot. I used Instagram. I really am I've gone through many different iterations of the feed, but I think I've settled on a, a framework and a format and a vibe that works now. I also last year created a digital uh, three month mini journal um, that people could download as a PDF and fill out for free. Yeah. Um, I thought that would be a good lead funnel. It wasn't. And so I'm not doing that again because that's a ton of work. Um, yeah. A ton, a ton. The, the, the lead generation piece is a challenge for me. I, I, I'm not finding it easy to break through in the space too well. Um, but I just kept at it. I kept writing people um, and I just kept asking people, please tell a friend, please share this, please, please, please. Um, but it was hard. That was and I, st- I still don't feel like I've really cracked the code on that one. Yeah, yeah. I think though when the book comes out next year, that will also raise awareness too, because they'll have their marketing department on it and your name will be out there. And yeah. And here's another amazing thing. The woman who does Workman's non-bookstore sales. So to gift shops and clubs is a friend of mine. from She wrote me, she says, Rosie, are you coming out with what? She says, I rep them. So she's stoked. She's already... (laughs) She's got this year's journal that I created, you know, she's got three of them and she's sharing them with people now just because she's my friend and she loves it. So when she's actually doing the official book with Workman, I think I'm really looking forward to next year. I think it's going to be really splendid. And I have to say, um, Sarah, uh, the book is going to be so much fun because you have a hundred women and you have a profile and beautiful illustrations. We're looking at the um, artists now. And I I think the one we're going to choose, her work is just absolutely divine because there are a lot of those sort of like women power books out there in the field. But the differentiating factor for this is after the profile, there will be an activity, an example, my favorite, um, Harriet Tubman, um, her, her her first husband refused to go with her on the Underground Railroad. And this is in the movie. It's a very sad moment. And when she comes back later, she finds out that he married someone else. Right. That's <gasps> the case. But in real life, after the war, she married an officer of the Union Army who was 20 years her junior. Right. And so the. Um, activity that I'm proposing, uh, we'll see if my editor lets it go through is Harriet Tubman got the last laugh. Here are 12 sets of rhyming couplets. Compose your diss rap to Harriet Tubman's. (laughs) (laughs) I want it to be really, really different. And, and yes, 
you know, here's the map. Here's the here's the Boston Women's Heritage Map. Pick 12 women you'd like to see on this map, you know, really to get us deeper than just Q&A, old road yeah. response, really a whole body experience. Bake a cake in honor of Audrey Lord's birthday and, and you know, put po poetry on the plates. I didn't put that in there. I'm making that up, you know, <laughs> put a poem on each plate. And so people can read it aloud. You know, how can we like fully engage in history yeah, yeah. and in these stories and make them part of who we are today? It's pretty, I mean, it's, it's, it's enticing stuff. Yeah. Yes, it is. Absolutely. My husband's a historian and that's one thing that they're always talking about getting people to kind of touch and feel it and not just read the book and go, mm, that's interesting, but exactly. to actually, yeah, physically engage with it, with your, with your body and that exactly. makes it well it makes it go in more you're more likely to remember it i mean how do we teach children these things the most hilarious thing is it's uh, my high school reunion right now and i'm speaking uh tomorrow and about brave sis and i i told them fun fact i was terrible in history in high school <laughs> it was just about dates and memorization and wrotness there was no they teach it differently now too than back when i was in school but i yeah. think those who don't know history are, are are destined to repeat it. Have not we seen that in the past few years yes. in, in our nations? And so let's 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 spark a new a new movement of knowing and feeling. Very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think with. I mean, education in this country and I think also in the U.S. is always under threat with funding and. Things like history are one of the first things to go out the window, but also things like art, where you might be bringing these things to life. They, they go out the window in favor of, you know, literacy and maths, obviously important as well. But I think we are at risk of losing our grip on our own pasts. And it's if, if we're purely analytical beings without the um, capacity to empathize and love and feel and express and create, then that is a very gray and dark way to be in the world. And honestly, nature doesn't work that way. You know, um, plants grow through concrete, you know, trees come back every year. So let's let's act like the world and not like separate ourselves from the generative, creative parts of who we are. I mean, that that yeah. and, and I'm happy to see a lot of younger people really leaning into that that mindset and framework. You know, it's interesting because my daughters are both in college, they're college age and they don't engage with brave sis, but I think that's mostly because it's mom's thing. <laughs> because, yes. I, I, because I definitely see um, younger women having this desire as well to really understand who came before them and and what they can do for those who are coming next. Uh, yeah. So that's another great thing about this project is that it really doesn't have an age um, barrier. I have a 12 year old friend, my friend's 12 year old daughter. I just loves it. And then I said my 77 year old friend. And then, you yeah. know, my sisters who didn't go further than a college and then high school graduation, you know, they love it. And then my niece, who is a federal judge who was appointed by Chief Justice Roberts, she loves it. So wow. it's like, you know, so many things in our society right now are siloed and, and like, you know, separated. This just has all of the potential of whomever wants to engage in it, what they want to pour into it, then it becomes theirs. And that's a really cool feeling. Yes. Okay. And it, yeah. So is there anything that you would have done differently with the whole project now, looking at it? Um, yeah, let's see. I, I probably wouldn't have printed, I would have printed maybe 500 fewer books 
because knowing the pandemic, you know, knowing that the pandemic was really enduring and that I was not going to have the opportunities to sort of market um, from a cost perspective, that wasn't the problem. But it's a little sad to go downstairs and still see, you know, 10 boxes sitting there forlorn in May. Um, <laughs> so so yeah. I think that's just the way, you know, as a startup person, you know, even calling yourself an entrepreneur, I still like to say I'm a creative venturer. You know, I'm having, I'm just easing into that space slowly. So I think the thing I would have done a little differently is just that taking into account, I would have been a little more pessimistic about COVID's grip on us all and the pandemic because I stayed optimistic. Oh, by the fall, we'll be able to do outdoor book events. And, you know, no. And so, no. Yeah. We're not allowed into each other's houses and yet here in England. So shops have reopened, but it's been impossible for, yeah, for a lot of retailers. And, and a lot of people are, tra- I'm, I'm fairly traumatized. I'm still kind of a recluse and a hermit, even though I've been vaccinated. You know, I lost family members in New York back in the spring. So when it was so very difficult. And that was a really, really interesting moment because that was the moment when I was finishing the book. And so I was actually feeling the legacy thing happening in real time. You yeah. know? Because people I knew who formed my history were leaving this earth. The brave sisses in general, for the most part, that I speak of in the journal and the activity book are women who are no longer with us. I use quotes in the journal from living women. But in terms of the profile, I felt it was important to include people who had passed because one, they're now among the ancestors and foremothers. But two, you never know, Sarah, if in the last five years of someone's life, they do something that is entirely incongruent with who they've been the rest of their life. And it's like, well, you, you know, you're actually, you know, so I didn't want that to happen. And I I also wanted people who were older than me. And so this is the one piece that was super, super fascinating. And your husband as a historian will really appreciate this. Um, Among let's say, uh, many brown women, Latin, Latina women, uh, Muslim women, um, Indian women from the subcontinent. It wasn't until the 70s or 80s that they started calling themselves women of color or associating themselves with not being white because the census allowed them to declare themselves as Caucasian. Right. So what happened in the 70s is you had that census change and then also sort of the rights movements that was lifting up. So as I was looking for Indian women, you know, Indian American women, not Native American, Indian American women and, 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 you know, women from Latin America who were living in America, it was very hard to find them. Because unless they were Afro-Cubana or they really were not like Raquel Welch, the famous actress she's Mexican she didn't claim she didn't claim her Latina-ness until recently Carol Channing the famous famous actor of Hello Dolly she's half black right and so (gasps) and, and she didn't say that until like in her 80s in her memoir right and so 
it was very interesting to be really looking for that diversity and not finding it in the earlier generations. Now, if I were to create a brave sis of living women today or activists, no problem, hundreds, hundreds. But there was a real generational shift in America, at least, from everything predating the 70s until today. Now, Chinese, Japanese um, women easy because they'd always been othered in our history with the Chinese Exclusion Act and then the Japanese internment. Those women were always considered other. So there were many more of them to sort of manifest in the space. And then, of course, indigenous women, um, a lot of the stories are are oral history. And so, you, you know, you just come up against these really interesting externalities of history in doing a project like this, too. I didn't expect that. I'm a little bit of an amateur historian now and, and a <laughs> cultural cultural commentator. So it's kind of cool. Oh, that's wonderful. And so, yeah, that is completely wonderful. I want to ask you a practical question. And particularly because you mentioned that you have a few copies left over from that first run. And it's always it's impossible to guess how many you're going to sell, because sometimes then you can get featured randomly on some website that you didn't expect and sell out. Um, Someone I'm working with has sold, I I probably shouldn't say, $10,000 worth of her planners in the last three days because she was featured on a Facebook group. And she's there saying, Sarah, my, it's just pinging and pinging and pinging. And there's this, you know, do you order another thousand copies or not at this stage? But one way that some planner creators do plan their purchasing is through working with retailers. So have you, did you work with retailers at all in the first run? No. Okay. No, I did not. And I didn't even do an ISBN number. Um, two reasons for that. One I literally could not take on another thing at that period in time. Just like, (sighs) you know, there were just too many things to do in life. Plus my adult daughters were back with us with the pandemic. And it was just like, I cannot uh, do this ISBN paperwork. The other is that the book, the book itself is like, you know, it's a, well, this isn't the best example, but it's a linen covered book. Ah. It's difficult to do, you know, the sticker or whatever. And then I just didn't, I, I guess I thought I could really sell it through the shop, through the, you know, through the store. I, so I didn't do, I didn't do retail. And actually I, I now with the contract with Workman, I cannot do retail for the, ah, I mean, okay. I, I mean, I maybe could, but I wouldn't, I don't want, I don't want to compete. I, and I also sort of like the idea of the journal being my, my homegrown baby that I kind of keep yes. in my house. It's like, you know, my homemade candle kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah. Lucky woman with the Facebook. I tried. I had friends send copies to Ava DuVernay, Jane Fonda, Stacey Abrams. I have a really great network. All these people got it. I said, with love, Rosella Kennedy, you know, and, and I just did not get any of them to click in and do that. And I yeah. know that's the difference, just that little piece of magic. I still believe in magic. So I'm still going to hold out hope. Yes. And yes. again, um, you know, uh, like I said, the book, even though it's dated, I think, you know, it can be super discounted and sold in the future just as a cool yes. look back. So absolutely, absolutely. And because w- working with retailers, it does bring its own set of huge challenges. And also you're selling it for far less per copy. So you really have to be sure that you're going to sell an awful lot of them 
for it to be financially worthwhile. It's hard. Yeah, it seemed like a bridge a little too far for me. And the other thing is, this is kind of a prestige item. It's not, you know, the MSRP was about $52, which allowed me to, you know, build in discounts and do the re- yes. whatever reseller, this and that. And now, now I'm just, you know, they're half price because we're almost halfway through the year. But at many times, my husband was like, why don't you just price it at $25? That's what, mm. and because this is not one of those generic books, the one size fits all. This is an art book. This is an yeah. actual, this is actually a piece of art that you can use in a practical way. And I don't think that people find that an an un, unapproachable price and i think no. it will help them realize that this is a quality product and that they deserve to indulge themselves with things of high quality as well yes um, yeah and and that felt really important to me and i i would not want brave sis to be sold in the second you know the second market retail mm. and the, you know i see all the time look at the look at my planner hall i got this at you know TJ Maxx or whatever, that's a degrading of the brand. I'm not, no, no, no. I, I, I'd rather sell 2,000 copies every year for the rest of time and have it be a high, high prestige love thing. Yeah. Sell 500,000 copies and have them in the dollar store. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. That said, I once ended up with about a thousand slightly unattractive beetle plates that I'd created. The nice ones all sold out and I was left with the ones that I shouldn't have had made. And I was really grateful for TK Maxx that month because they just took them and I was like, okay, totally. I'm well, so plate, sorry, little plates. Well, a plate let can you just down. sort of, you know, a plate can go out of there, but a book that has your name and your own yeah, that's, story in it, that's a little bit of a different kind of ball of yeah, wax. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. No, no, for right. sure. And, and you know what I've been able to do, Sarah, that's been the best of all with a lot of the leftover inventory and this has been just the absolute joy and mission and 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 holy beauty of the whole thing is i've been able to give away copies to groups serving women and girls for free just take the pay the shipping i've given them to uh, groups that work with young young girls here in oakland area coming out of the sex trafficking can you Gosh. imagine what it feels for them to be coming out of that and then to have this book that says you are worth everything. You are a, yeah. a, a beautiful human being and let's explore your story from yourself. A group yeah. in Iowa used it with low income women across cultures to help them use the journal to plan their budget planning and their financial goals. And they wrote me and said, to see these stories and put myself in here, I feel like I can meet my goals because I'm reading. But I mean, that part has been incredible. And that will be part of the story going forward. It's not a buy one, give one away. I don't want to be that no. prescriptive, but it's like help support this. And it's going out there to do that. And that's been unbelievably fulfilling. Like, you know. Yeah. Wonderful. That's so meaningful. So my last question is, what advice would you give to somebody starting on this journey of creating a planner that is more than a planner, but creating something really special? What advice would you give them? Um, Look deep into your heart for what would you like that you don't see out there in the world right now? What is different? And do a little research to, you know, to make sure there isn't 
one or 50 already of them out there. If you were doing, you know, a planner for uh, people making their own herbal tinctures, you want to just make sure there are not 10 books already out there on herbal tea. Yeah. Um, but if you have a specific point of view or story or experience or value proposition, even in a heavy space that's very full, like herbal tinctures, which I'm talking about, which is ridiculous <laughs> because it's very esoteric. Um, if you have a particularly, you know, compelling story, then go for it regardless. Because when you are putting your own human self and story into the product, that comes through. And that's what people want to connect with, you know, um, the authentic human face. But also be open to mystery and surprises and corners turning and and kismet because it may end up taking on a different life than you expected so be fearless be brave <laughs> thank you so much rosella it's been an absolute honor to speak to you and learn all about this wonderful project thank you sarah. very very much for your time sarah thank you so much again i wouldn't have had the temerity or even the logistical sense how to start this if I had not taken your course. And so honest, it is so true. When, <laughs> when, it, when, when credit is due, I give it readily. And the fact that we were able to come together today and, and, and be together in this space is so thrilling for me. I can't wait to get back over to the UK and meet with you and give you a big hug yes. and have our own, <laughs> our own Brave Sis tea party. <laughs> Just, Absolutely. I can't oh, wait. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.